Welcome back to the Abra Money 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. In this episode, Abra founder and CEO Bill Byerhide is in conversation with Tom Kaiser, the head of operations at Augur. Augur is a decentralized prediction market that's built on Ethereum. Bill and Tom talk about some of the ways that people are using prediction markets, but the conversation also touches on the potential impacts of the technology that the team at Augur is building. Before jumping in, remember, the information presented in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any of the financial assets discussed. Any opinions expressed herein are subject to change. Neither Abra nor any of the participants in this podcast make any representation as to the suitability or appropriateness of these financial assets for individual investors. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Uh, Bill Barheit here. Welcome to uh, another exciting episode of Abra's Money 3.0. Uh, so with me today, I have uh, Tom from uh, from Augur. Tom, you there? Yes. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, welcome to Money 3.0. I- I'd love it if you could uh, just give us some background on yourself and, and how you got into to crypto. And then I, I really want to get into this whole idea of a decentralized prediction market. It's something that I think our audience is going to be super excited about. So let's let's go through this methodically because I think there's a lot to break down here. So so tell us how you got into to crypto and, and your role at Augur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, maybe five or six years ago, uh, I was studying computer science in college for a year and had discovered Bitcoin. Um, you know, it, it ended up taking up uh, majority of my time over studies as I was learning more stuff about Bitcoin and playing with it and, you know, trying to figure out what I can do with it and what other things I could do with it. And um, long story short, um, I ended up finding a, a, a company in Silicon Valley, maybe four and a half, five years ago, um, that had just raised a very small, uh, you know, seed amount of money for wanting to do something in the crypto crowdfunding space. Um, and uh, thankfully, I uh, got a job offer to go move out there and work on that about five and yeah, it was about five years ago now. Um, and this became something called Coinify, which was a uh, crowdfunding platform prior to you know, Ethereum and a lot of these token sale uh, type booms. So we did a couple early crowd sales, uh, one of them being Factum. I think that's pretty much the only one that's still around. Um, But through that, I ended up meeting Joey and Jack uh, because Augur was uh, one of the earlier, uh, you know, cryptocurrency crowd sale projects that was potentially in the pipeline. And that was kind of the stuff we were working in. So um, we ended up not, you know, actually doing the Augur crowd sale uh, for Augur under Coinify, but um, I had met Joey and Jack, uh, stayed in touch with Joey for a little bit, and I don't know, maybe about a year and a half later, um, you know, they Joey gave me the opportunity to come join him over at the Forecast Foundation, and um, I've been there for about through just about three years now, um, and I'm director of operations, uh, you know pretty much one of the few engineers on the one of the few non-engineers on the team so um anything non-engineering more or less is stuff that you know me and uh another guy peter who works with us uh handle so it's been a fun ride um very interesting but uh yeah i've uh i uh through the um through the kind of san francisco crypto network uh got my first job out there and made my way to auger and pretty much have never left (laughs) no fantastic so so what is a prediction market, uh, and 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 what is Augur, and 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 what is Augur's vision for prediction markets? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, so Augur is you know on uh, on a technical level, Augur is a peer to peer prediction market and uh, oracle 
uh, network, a decentralized peer-to-peer prediction market in Oracle network. Um, now, what that actually means, I guess, in simple terms, is these are uh, you know no-limit censorship-resistant uh, markets. Um, any market that has a definitive event or a definitive outcome uh, can be a market that is traded, and uh, people trade these markets. Uh, you know, with their confidence of likelihood of whatever outcome happening is. So you're you're essentially trading event outcomes. And, uh, you know, it's kind of parallel to how a lot of traditional financial markets work today. Um, but, you know, it's very similar to, you know, like uh, traditional betting exchanges and betting platforms that we have today. Um, but the difference between, you know, those and what Augur can provide today is that Augur is a set of, you know, a, 90 contracts that live on the Ethereum blockchain. And, you know, you get all the inherent kind of uh, properties that came along with Bitcoin, but now for markets of any type, these are, you know, limitless censorship resistant. Anybody can access them. Um, Nobody can modify them. Nobody has any sort of extra proprietary power or control over the software than anybody else participating in the system. As a prediction market, the idea is that I can basically say I want to facilitate or participate in some type of uh, bet on the outcome of an event, right? So let's say the presidential, the upcoming primaries, let's say the Democratic primary leading up to the presidential election. There's 15 candidates, and I basically want to facilitate a prediction or, or, or betting process as to who is going to win the nomination, who might come in second, who might come in third. And I can basically then open up a new type of uh, prediction, uh, I don't know what you call a contract, um, to determine uh, what the market thinks about who is going to, to win the nomination. Would that be a good example? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, you could either come and create your own market on your own terms uh, for, you know, that uh, event, uh, or you can go and trade on somebody else's market that presuming, you know, there is a market that meets uh, what you're trying to trade. But um, yeah, you know, there's a few markets on Augur today um, surrounding some of the upcoming political events. And uh, yeah, you know, you can buy a share of whatever you think the outcome winner is going to be, say you buy it at, you know, 60 cents um, or 60% um, in this case, you know, um, if that outcome ends up being the correct outcome, uh, those shares will be redeemable to one. So um, the price at which you pay for the share is, uh, you know, inherently the, the, the price that you also believe is like the probabilistic chance of that uh, event outcome being the winning one or the occurring one. Right, exactly. So, so then you also mentioned this idea of a decentralized oracle. So, in the example you gave, you have to determine uh, either, well, in my example, who who won the primary, or in your example, the price of the share. For uh, as another example, so you need some external data source that everybody agrees is valid at the beginning of the the bet. I would assume to uh, determine who wins the bet based upon some external data. I assume that's what you meant by a decentralized oracle in this case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, every market has uh, you, the the market creator is allowed to designate either a specific resolution source, uh, which would be saying something along the lines of, "I want this baseball game to resolve to whatever ESPN says is the score of this baseball game," or alternatively, uh, you can make your resolution source uh, general knowledge in which you are not specifying a specific place you want this information pulled from. You want the kind of general consensus. 
Um, and so a market creator specifies which one of the two ways they would like that market to resolve. Um, there's kind of pros and cons of each different way, depending on you know what you're going for. Um, but then that gets into uh, essentially kind of the second part of Augur. Augur is really you know a decentralized exchange uh, on the first half of it, and then you know the second half of it. That majority of traders and people using Augur in the long run will presumably never really see or touch is the Oracle system and the uh, distributed reporting. And those are you know uh, people who uh, hold the Rep token uh, that we created. Um, they essentially have a financial incentive to keep that oracle always honest and or reflecting reality, uh, reflecting presumably what traders are uh, expecting you know, those outcomes to be as the rep reporting uh, uh, token holders essentially work for the protocol and they work for the traders. Um, they have their incentives aligned for traders to continue to trade on Augur. They will continue to report on those markets and extract uh, the fees from the market for doing you know, their work there. So, um, but it's, it's essentially a big kind of uh, you know, distributed backstop uh, uh, reporting game where it's designed in a way that the, the most profitable move should always be being honest uh, versus attempting to collude. Right. So the litmus test for is something decentralized to me has always been, is there a central off switch? Meaning can I, as the FBI, walk into a room, shut off the lights, shut off the power, and, and this system is now off? So what you're saying is, is that in theory, you can't shut Augur off because even with the Oracle, even with the ESPN score uh, source, there's no place for that that FBI to go in this case to say, okay, here's where I shut the Oracle down or I shut the prediction market down. Is that is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. So the you know the the logic for the trading network for the for the trading and matching exchange and the logic for the uh, Oracle network exists on chain. It's all you know on chain on Ethereum. Um, and then there's front ends that are used to interact with Augur, uh, but those are primarily used and shared uh, upon uh, using IPFS today. So it's uh, not so the the client UI isn't really actually hosted on a. We absolutely don't host or serve any of it, but um, it seems that most people have been accessing it through uh, an IPFS gateway in their browser. But um, yeah, everything is hosted in you know well, quote unquote hosted, but everything is served in a way where. Um, there's, there's no central point of failure. Uh, the code's freely available on GitHub. You can download it and always run it as a desktop client if you would like as well. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's free open source code and uh, anybody can access it. And all the parts, you know, the, the entire system of Augur is designed in a way where, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it views every participant equally. Um, and, you know, the Forecast Foundation, we have no sort of either control over what's in these contracts uh, currently deployed. We can't update them. We can't modify them. We can't stop them. Uh, we have no escape hatch or, uh, you know, like centralized kill switch key, like a lot of some other projects do. Um, you know, it's it's out there and uh, there's, you know, we, we really can't, we can't even modify the contracts if we want to. Um, so like Augur V2 is going to be an entirely new contract deployment with a manual migration over to it. But um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing to shut down if you would like to shut you know, auger down, you'd essentially have to shut Ethereum down with it. Yep. Yep. What are the kind of contracts that are most popular today? If you, if you look at all of the different prediction markets that are out there or the predictions within, uh, within auger, which ones are getting the most attention? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the short term right now, so um, uh, political betting markets um, definitely get some interest. Um, I think particularly due to the, um, 
the the other places where you can bet on similar uh, similar types of uh, political markets have uh, you know um, like uh, predicted has a $850 bet limit and withdrawal fees and etc and a lot of these uh, you know offshore uh, sports exchange and sports books don't trade political markets um, so like uh, we had the uh, who will win the house vote market uh, at some point last year that is still to date the largest traded market on Augur. Um, I think it's settled with like a million and a half dollars in open interest and three or four million in total volume. Um, but the Canadian election market two weeks ago uh, got good volume. Um, I think Augur matched like $125,000 in bets and uh, Betfair uh, matched like 20K in bets on the same market. Um, so political ones have been showing recently to, uh, you know, definitely be of something of interest. Um, same with sports betting, um, particularly just because uh, sports betting is uh, currently today, it's, uh, you know, the, the operational process of actually sports betting is uh, very inefficient for a lot of the sports bettors, uh, whether that's because they don't have a uh, exchange or a place that they can bet um you know based on where they live um so then they you know they'll go to offshore exchanges it's like a 50 50 crapshoot if they'll actually send you your money back you know with a withdrawal and there's no protections no liabilities they charge very big fees um they charge very big spreads so um people have been using like the nfl markets and some of these other uh sports markets have been getting you know not anything crazy in terms of volume but you know consistent trading volume of decent and sizable bets that people are actually using it for um and i think lastly some of the things we were you know at least me was more uh you know surprised in but then ended up being super interesting is like um these people have been making like kind of little niche markets and they don't do crazy amounts of volume um, but they're cool because they're markets that we haven't really seen before. Like we had a guy who wanted to make, uh, you know, this was before Augur had launched, but he wrote out a big proposal. He wanted to make a market on uh, where the next Amazon uh, headquarters is going to be because he was looking to purchase a home in one of the potential locations and wanted an avenue to potentially hedge against, uh, you know, housing pricing going up um, if he was going to, you know, go live in one of these places. So it was like kind of a niche uh, little use case. Like people have been using... Um, There'll be bounties sometimes for teams, which is really cool. So like you want an open source project to implement some feature, um, you could create a market on, you know, does, does Augur integrate, you know, support for so-and-so wallet by a certain date and put, you know, 2000 bucks up on no. And uh, in theory, the, you know, opposing team could purchase those shares, make that event happen. And it's kind of being used as like a bounty funding mechanism. So, um, you know, they're not, they, these ones don't do like big amounts in volume or anything like that. But um, I think it highlights and illustrates that, you know, people are going to find ways to use these, this technology and these markets in, you know, ways that we definitely haven't thought of or, you know, can think of right now. Yep. How do you, given that it's decentralized, how do you uh, prevent kind of, let's, let's say in air quotes, nefarious usage of this with things that may be unethical, like let's say somebody wanted to create a prediction market for who, who's going to assassinate the president or on what day will they, the president be assassinated? That's probably something that the, uh, I would assume that the creators of, of Augur probably didn't want out there. So, so how do you police something like that in a, in a decentralized environment or, or do you just throw up your arms and say, we can't police it? Well, you know, on a fundamental level, we can't police it. Uh, on a protocol level, we can't police anything. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of some of the trade-off of, you know, a truly decentralized technology. Uh, you know, pretty much creating anything new, there's going to, you know, 
always be some level of inherent, uh, you know, people using or bad actors and people using it for nefarious reasons with, with, with anything that's created. Um, I think, you know, at least in terms of, you know, auger and some of these markets, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that at a protocol level, you know, it's a, it's a human curation problem. Like we, like you can't have code enforce what ethics is or, you know, cause it's like all very subjective depending on who you speak with. Obviously there's clear examples of, you know, what would be yes and no uh, or acceptable or not acceptable if somebody was policing it, but still it's very difficult to put that sort of thing into like protocol level code that you then go and deploy. And that's the, you know, part of the, of the logic that lives on Ethereum. Um, but you know, in terms of like actually combating it being a problem in the real world, I mean, you know, none of these markets, you know, have, I think will actually ever be traded on. Um, I mean, I think we've seen too, it's, you know, cryptocurrency as isn't as, you know, anonymous as everybody would like to think it is if you use it in the default manner. Um, but you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's this provides market creating, you know, it's like, you know, you can have create a market, anybody can create a market for a couple dollars. Um, so, you know, with that will necessarily, you know, come with, uh, you know, some bad actors doing some bad things. But um, I think one, as more people start, as more uh, companies start coming in and building like for profits on top of Augur, um, which we're starting to see, um, they will you know, all have their own kind of curation methods and uh, their own ways of highlighting, you know, what is good and what is bad on Augur. Because outside of just like nefarious markets, you know, uh, there's also nothing stopping, you know, somebody from creating 20 of the same markets if you want. Um, and like currently in the UI, it's weighted by volume. So like ideally you will see the ones that actually have the trading volume. Those would be the ones that people trade on and the 19 other ones will just kind of be dead markets, but there's no way to actually control or police that like on a protocol level. Um, so, you know, like UIs, uh, coming out and people that will be providing access to this protocol, um, I think will, you know, play a large role in, uh, you know, what types of markets are curated, how they're curated, um, and like how you essentially kind of, yeah, it's like, how do you score the quality of this market in a distributed network, uh, you know, in a way where you're confident that it's a valid market. It's, uh, you know, the one that has the most trading volume, uh, you know, you want to give, there's always going to, there's always going to be a level of human curation that will like make the experience better. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to, Come, come V2, there's a couple more projects that will uh, hopefully be opening up their doors. Uh, but we have things like Guesser now today that are doing it. And um, so, yeah, I think in the long run, you know, it'll kind of be like self-solved in the sense of that majority of people who probably use Augur are going to go through, you know, some person that's built a for-profit relayer on top of it, or they're going to, you know, there's going to be some other, um, uh, uh, you know, interface channel that the user is using Augur with where, you know, they're only going to be shown like the top hundred markets for whatever they want to look at or whatnot. And hopefully the decentralized UI can get to that level at some point too. But um, yeah, I guess, you know, that would kind of be the, the general take on that. Hey, did you know you can get $25 in Bitcoin just for signing up and creating an Abra wallet? Abra makes investing in cryptocurrencies super easy. Try it today and learn more at abra.com slash goabra. Terms and conditions apply. Are there applications of Augur that you think are going to be really exciting, but just haven't taken off yet? Meaning, uh, I'm just kind of surprised that this type of, of market isn't there yet or, or that type of market isn't there yet. Um, well, so in the early days, we saw a lot of markets on like, um, 
essentially just cryptocurrency speculation. Um, right. Some of the largest markets were just, you know, will ETH close at a certain price by the end of the month or the end of the year or some altcoin? They were doing it with REP as well. Um, and those seem to take off originally and then have started to kind of slowly fade away. And I, you know, it would, you know, I'd imagine it's, uh, you know, it was one of the initial interesting things for crypto people to bet on. And, um, you know, nowadays too, I think, you know, we're, we're attempting to attract a somewhat different audience in the realm of more uh, traditional bettors and uh, people who are, you know, more familiar with betting and try to get them into the crypto ecosystem versus trying to convince people in the crypto ecosystem that they're betters. Um, but, you know, um, so I, I think some of these like financial and uh, speculation markets in the long run will probably be quite big. Um, however, in the short term, like right now, we have like a cutoff date for Augur V2 as well. There's kind of some, you know, bumps as we're in the growing process. Um, but once this kind of matures a bit, I think some of these, uh, you know, uh, financial speculation markets will end up taking off uh, based on the way that you can do, um, you can set up like pretty fancy and sophisticated scalar markets that give you essentially like, you know, synthetic leverage on your position without necessarily putting up the additional uh, additional capital. Um, there's a bunch of, I think, interesting things that can be done in the realm of like, just like crypto, or not even cryptocurrency, but, you know, kind of uh, just general market speculation and derivatives based off that and stuff like that. Um, so I think that'll come when Augur matures a bit more, but I definitely think that's going to be a, a large use case in the future. Do you have any way of knowing how many people have used Augur? Meaning, I've I've actually bought or sold a you know on a market. Yeah, well, we have you know um, we have uh, like unique uh, Ethereum addresses, which you know isn't uh, uh, the best way, but it's a relatively decent proxy. Um, I believe it's in the ballpark of three to four thousand unique people have placed bets on Augur over the past year. Um, yeah, it's like three to four thousand. It's you know. Um, it, it's a large portion of, you know, Augur V1 was essentially, uh, we need to get this deployed. We need to prove that this works, that this whole kind of incentive system reporting, resolving markets, uh, that this all actually works. And um, I think, you know, we did in a sense, at least to ourselves, uh, you know, we're confident at least now that this entire system can hold up. Um, and, you know, I come V2 and come in the future. Now, I think it's a lot of matter of, uh, fixing that experience, polishing up that experience, and you know, getting this product out in front of more users. Why, why create a rep token? What what purpose does the token actually serve versus Ethereum itself in the system? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, one of the reasons you know, we, I would like to think that Augur is one of the few projects that uh, can you know answer the question of why do you need a token? Uh, you know, quite well. Um, the the fundamental like thing that protects Augur's Oracle and the reporting system is that in the event of two different sides really disagreeing on the outcome of an event, Augur can fork. And this isn't a fork in the sense of Ethereum forking. This is a sense in the rep token can fork itself. So if there's, you know, um, reporting has uh, rounds and essentially it's you, uh, people can crowdfund a dispute bond. Um, if that bond fills, then it switches outcome and it allows, you know, the other side to potentially post the dispute bond and it can keep going all the way up and the sizes get larger and the bond sizes get larger. And, um, 
you know, at the final dispute round, um, I believe it's right now by design, it's somewhere in the ballpark of about two and a half percent of the total rep supply for the final round. Um, the final dispute round will be a forking round in auger. Uh, meaning if, if two sides sufficiently disagree with what the outcome of the event was and stake an, uh, enough capital, uh, you know, uh, uh, asserting that, um, the rep token will fork into two separate universes. And essentially there will be rep token one where that exists in the auger universe that says, say Hillary Clinton won the presidential election. And then there's auger, you know, two, which is the outcome that says, you know, Donald Trump won the election. And now if you're a rep token holder, um, come V2, you're going to be uh, forced to actually participate in these uh, network wide forks. Um, but you have to take your rep and decide which universe you want to exist in. Do you want your rep to exist in the Hillary Clinton universe or the Donald Trump universe? And you're forced to migrate your rep to one of those two individual worlds. And, um, you know, this was kind of the underlying principle of the Oracle that this is one of the main things that, you know, different implementations of, a, of you know, people working on a decentralized Oracle change and play around with, like uh, Gnosis's master Oracle is nearly the identical Oracle design of Augur's reporting system. However, the difference is, is that in that event of a fork, they would fork Ether or they would fork Ethereum versus forking, you know, their own token. They wouldn't use their own token as a part of uh, uh, the reporting system. So um, one, you know, we needed to get rep out into, we needed to have some, uh, uh, you know, value out in the hands of people that wanted to participate in Augur in the long run in order to you know, just know that we have participants that will hold this token and actually come in and do this work weekly. Um, and then additionally, on top of that, it's a, one of the fundamental underlying security properties is the fact that the protocol has the network to fork the token. And, uh, you know, without that, it's like the Oracle can't ever define, you know, itself what is true and what is not true. And if two people really don't agree and they stake enough money to say so, the, the protocol essentially allows them to each go exist in their own universe and everyone else gets to, gets to decide where they want to exist and participate within as well. So has such a fork ever happened or happened yet within the, the rep token? No, no. And, you know, it's uh, I mean, it, it would be a uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a very it would be a very large event in Augur's history if that were to happen. Sure. You know, the, the thresholds are quite high and whatnot, but um, it is there and it can happen. So that, you know, the threat of that happening is generally enough to keep the Oracle honest, uh, you know, for the vast majority of the time. Yep. And, and so basically, just to, if, I, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is, is that in theory, you could use Ether or any other assets, digital asset as the uh, incentive mechanism for, for the Oracle function. But the, the fact that you have this uh, forking feature that needs to be unique to your token is what actually makes the token necessary uh, in order to basically have a decentralized Oracle um, as opposed to a centralized party for dispute resolutions. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, you know, rep is it, rep doubles as, you know, a way for us to, you know, as a way for the protocol to transmit value from essentially market creators and traders to reporters. So it is used as like a means of transferring value. Uh, you know, I think a token that is just used for the means of transferring value is a pretty low value proposition for that token alone. Um, so yeah, you know, the, it's, it's the, the fact that we 
that the that the protocol, the Augur protocol, has access to the underlying functionality of that token or asset that the players have a financial stake in, because that allows us to, you know, modify, allows the protocol to modify it or change it in this event, you know, force a fork. Um, and yeah, that's kind of our, that's kind of our rep thesis. Do you see, well, first of all, I've been thinking a lot about this whole idea of decentralized oracles, right? I mean, in any kind of smart contract, it seems like the, the trust issue is always going to be there, right? So, uh, the idea of not having to trust a third party Oracle to determine the outcome of a smart contract is very, very compelling. But as you've demonstrated with this necessity to fork in the case of uh, a dispute is very complex. Do you foresee a model where your Oracle system could be used outside of Augur uh, or outside of your own prediction markets? Meaning let's say somebody was building their own Ethereum based contracts or EOS for that matter, based contracts. Could I use your decentralized Oracle model in my own contracts, or would I have to basically take the code and re-implement it in, in my own contract system? There's a, there's a yes and a no answer to that. <laughs> um, so like you can, you could in theory take the outcome from, you know, events that resolve on Augur and use it for uh, your own project or some other uh, market that you have to use that as the outcome to resolve it. Um, the issue with this is uh, something we call, uh, you know, it's the it's the parasite attack, which is, uh, you know, nearly relatively unsolvable attack, which is in the sense of that if there's a third party that is using Augur's resolutions as, uh, you know, to resolve their own amount of value outside of the Augur system, if that amount of value outside of the Augur system ever uh, uh is larger than the equal amount of value that is locked in the auger system for that same outcome that they're using um there now becomes a potential profitable attack on the oracle which would be you know buying majority of the rep tokens and forcing a fork and whatnot but it might be profitable in that sense so there's uh there's it's it's in the auger white paper too it's the the kind of you know the parasite attack essentially if somebody parasites the outcomes out of auger without participating in the market and paying reporting fees in the market if that ever grows too large there's a chance for both that external market and Augur to both, you know, kind of implode and kill themselves uh, because it could, in theory, be profitable to attack Augur to get the value on the, you know, uh, third party or outside exchange uh, paid out to them in a certain way. Um, and it kind of, you know, it screws the incentives and uh, potentially can kill the Augur Oracle, which would also thus in kill the third party market that is now trading outside of Augur as well. Um, so it's kind of like the suicide bomber attack, um, you know, Augur, if somebody wants to come in and do that. Um, there's a way to solve that, which is just participate in the Augur market for the equal amount of open interest uh, just to pay reporting fees. So um, you don't even need to participate in the market. You just need to hold the, you know, a, a, a complete set of shares in the market and participate in the market for an equal amount of value that you're going to resolve outside of the market. Um, and then in theory, you could, you know, that's just, uh, that's just kind of plugging into the auger markets and you could do that with external chains as well. Um, but, you know, extra, anyone who wants to potentially, you know, use a decentralized Oracle is going to have to decide you know, if they want to participate in that Oracle's system that makes that Oracle secure. And, you know, they, they, they realize that if you, you know, parasite from that Oracle um, that you are deeming is secure and your 
parasite volume grows to a le level larger than the volume in auger, you're you can in, you can inherently kill the securityness of the auger oracle as well as the integrity of your own thing that you're trading outside of there. And um, that's the whole kind of auger security model is that you know auger is secure under certain conditions, and uh, you know the conditions right now are like. Uh, the market cap of rep needs to be, uh, I believe it's five times larger than the current open interest escrowed in Augur. Essentially, it's, you know, uh, as long as an attack on the Augur Oracle is unprofitable, we deem it secure. Um, but there is a potential world where an attack on the Augur Oracle could be profitable. And then we would deem at that point, you know, the Augur Oracle is, is non-secure. Uh, somebody would presumably be attacking it. And then uh, we would eventually get to the point of a fork uh, forking the rep token, like we talked about earlier. And um, in the event, somebody actually did do a hostile attack uh, and, you know, attack the Oracle. And even if it was profitable, um, the token would still fork into different universes. And uh, hopefully rep holders would be able to realize that there was just a, you know, a hostile takeover and still migrate to, you know, not the attacker's universe. Um, so there's still, and that's kind of another reason for the whole forking thing is that there's, there's always optionality to not agree with what somebody else says on Augur at the end of the day, if it gets to the final step. Gotcha. You know, I've, I've thinking thinking a lot about collateralized stable coins, a la Dai, that rely on collateral uh, priced in dollars in order to create a stable coin, and ultimately, um, you know, they do have to uh, trust an outside source for determining how much collateral needs to go in that contract to create that die-like stablecoin. I'm wondering if, if there's a great uh, you know, overlap between what you're doing and how to basically solve that, uh, that, that trust model inherent in, in those collateral stablecoins that actually does potentially create an off switch, right? Because if, if you can't determine uh, to some degree of trust what the price is, uh, of whatever ether or Bitcoin or whatever you're collateralizing the stablecoin in, um, then you have a failed system. Is that is that true? And then could you solve that problem here? Absolutely. You know. So um, you know. Yeah. That 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 like train of thought and way of thinking is like valid and absolutely correct. Um, the one I think hurdle that I've spoken with one or two people roughly about the idea. And I think the hurdle that we've faced with this such far is that, and it gets better in V2. So in Augur V1 right now, markets take a proc, the, the, the reporting cycles are uh, a week. And um, at, at best right now, a market will resolve in like five days if undisputed. Um, come V2, that's going to get to um, like 24 to 36 hours. Um, so within 24 to 36 hours, uh, a dispute round will have been completed and you'll know either if this market's being disputed or if the outcome was accepted as truth. Um, so I think the issue with some of that stuff is that there is um, a need for a more real-time data feed of some of these pricing. Um, and that's something that Augur is not necessarily great for right now, which is fast uh, reporting because essentially, you know, somebody says what the outcome is on Augur, and then we give a 24 hour period for anybody who holds rep to come in and stake some rep and say, no, that's wrong. And, uh, you know, if they're correct, they will make money. Um, but we still have that natural period of where we have a distributed network of reporters that need to come in to some software and, you know, validate claims essentially. 
Um, and there's always a financial incentive to you know validate that claim in a in a way that you believe is going to best reflect reality. Um, but so like in the event of say you're uh, you know using the Augur reporting system to attempt to provide like a price feed for what Bitcoin is because you want to you know value what the collateral is. Um, if that price ends up being incorrect for some reason, or somebody disputes that price, you know, it's uh, you have a 24 hour period now uh, where you have to like field the real information in. Um, so the the hurdle that we've always kind of got caught up on is, you know, how would you how would you get that in real time? And actually, Augur faces this problem inherently within the protocol itself. Um, we actually the Augur protocol needs to know what the outside USD market value of rep is in order to properly value uh, well, reporting fees being paid to the reporter. So um, in Augur v1, this was a uh, this was a multisig, uh, very similar to what like Maker does today for their price fees as well. Um, think there was there was ironically enough a bug in Augur v1 at the protocol level uh, that made reporting fees, uh, you know, almost uh, you know just uh, no longer needed uh, at least at this level in what the you know Augur volume is doing. Um, but come v2 um you know we explored a bunch of ideas on how would you get like a somewhat you know or how would you get a distributed price feed in a somewhat real-time type way um and i believe what we've decided on for v2 is um using uniswap's uh v2 new deployment um they're going to have a new deployment where uh they allow access to that real-time uh market value um you know slightly easier than the way that they're doing it right now and some other stuff. Uh, but our leading thought for that was to was to use Uniswap. And um, I believe that's what's going to be powering the rep price feed uh, come Augur V2, uh, because that's, you know, kind of the one, you know, the, the, the thought years ago was always like, we'll use DEX price feeds. We'll be able to get price feeds on chain from something like Ether Delta or whatnot. Um, but I think at this point, it's been somewhat proven that, you know, these DEXs don't have sufficient liquidity, um, at least to a level where you would want to, you know, confidently take a, 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 a price feed from it to, to price some other asset, um, just because they're just not mature enough books to where they, you know, they could be very easy, easily manipulated and whatnot. Um, but Uniswap's quite good. Um, so I believe that's actually our solution. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of teams that are working with the how do we get a price feed in real time type problem? And, um, you know, like I'm pretty sure Maker still today is running a, a just, it's just a fancy multi-sig setup feeding in a bunch of the prices. Yeah, um, that's right. and yeah, that's, you know, that's, uh, pretty much anybody I think who, who is going to be like dealing with dApps this year faces that in one way or another. Um, most of these things need a price feed, uh, for what, whatever asset it is. Um, and there's still not a great way to do that. Um, and I would still think there's stuff to explore in the realm of something like having a Uniswap price feed, uh, for your real time data feed and then like default and then like, uh, using Augur as a, as a backstop to that. So essentially, you know, take Uniswap's decentralized, uh, real time price feed. And if anybody really has a problem with it, you know, kick it over to Augur and let Augur use the distributed reporting setup, uh, to, you know, sufficiently, uh, uh, assert what what has happened here, um, but I I don't know how that would work in the realm of who's using the price and what you would do in the meantime uh, when those claims are being either you know validated or invalidated. But um, right. yeah, super interesting topic. Yeah, aligning incentives there for bad actors is very very hard uh, because you could easily see a model where people would uh, lock up 
other people's funds to extract uh, some portion of their losses back, right? I mean, uh, it sounds a little scary, but I mean, I think it's like the holy grail of smart contracts to me is exactly that, right? I mean, we, 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 we talk about that all the time at Abra. So, so that's a good segue into what you think is next here. I mean, what are your predictions for what happens next with the Augur protocol, with REP, uh, with the Augur network in general, and how do you see 2020 evolving for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's gonna be super exciting. You know, it's like, uh, we've, we're like in the point of like development where it's like you wake up every day and, you know, get in the chat group and like catch up with everybody from, you know, what happened over the night. And it's like every day at Augur just gets like continuously more exciting now. Um, because I think we've kind of, uh, at least isolated, you know, pinpointed, you know, what are our kind of clear value props today to some, you know, direct audiences that we want to target. Um, you know, we're, we're reason we're, we're confident now that the system can work. Now it's kind of, you know, how do you make the best actual product and start onboarding users to not just Augur alone, but you know, it's, if you're going to onboard somebody to Augur, they're, they're onboarded to the entire crypto ecosystem. And there's many parallels that you need like to be onboarded to Augur. You're going to have to presumably buy crypto, whether that's through, uh, you know, wire or whatnot, whatever. Um, but like, it's like, you're going to be introducing a whole new user into crypto. Um, but come V2, it's, it's entirely, you know, most of our development and focus is entirely around uh, uh, the, the product itself, uh, the user experience and the product itself, and then uh, user acquisition. So um, Augur V2 is actually going to uh, have two new UIs being released. One is essentially a revamped trading UI, um, which, you know, relatively has the same look as, you know, the current UI. Um, I, you know, the UI is actually much better, but the experience of trading is still very similar. It's, you know, uh, much more familiar to uh, trading on GDAX. Um, and then additionally, we're going to be releasing a new betting UI, um, which is something we haven't had before, which is uh, uh, a UI that it looks much more like Betfair uh, with, you know, back and lay and odds. And you can toggle odds to whatever odds you're familiar with. Um, so, you know, I think come V2, it's going to be uh, very heavily focused around uh, building a good and smooth product that we can actually onboard users to. Um, and, you know, just essentially, you know, continuing to make the protocol hardened to a level where there are people using this, there's a community and ecosystem that, you know, care about it. We have users, people are coming in, they're resolving markets, um, you know, but I think generally speaking, you know, we have our V2 deployment, um, you know, Maker has its V2 deployment uh, coming up next month as well. Uniswap has V2 deployment. I think generally speaking, a lot of the industry is slowly but starting to begin to like actually mature um at least like on protocol levels too um i think a lot of us are you know uh have kind of hardened where we you know live on the spectrum of like what what are you building on chain and what is your actual protocol um so like the, i think the protocols are starting to really mature and now like this next year i think for a lot of us is going to be um the maturity of just like the experience and getting the experience of using these applications to a equal, if not better level than current web apps today. And um, I do think it can be done uh, to an extent and level. And there's always going to be some limitations on dealing with, uh, you know, uh, 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 the contracts versus a central server somewhere. But even with like, uh, you know, with zero X trading, it gets super quick. Um, you know, we, we 
we've uh, segmented the trading engine from the contracts in a way that they could uh, uh, we could you could essentially uh, we could deploy a new trading engine if we would like, and then Augur users can decide to point to the new trading engine. Um, so, like after somewhat you know slowly after V two launch, we want to deploy um, some sort of off chain scaling. Uh, uh, you know, uh, trading contracts, which, you know, in theory can get trades down to sub a second. Um, and like when you start removing some of these limitations, a lot of those limitations were a lot of the cause for like just terrible user experience, I think, across in cryptocurrency. So like the like middleware and infrastructure tools for all this stuff is getting a lot better. Like we can sync the part of the node in browser you know, through WebTorn, if you wanted to peer to peer, like much faster. And like, we know how to do that now. And like ETHRPC handles it. And uh, like, there's a lot of these inherent problems that in the early days of crypto, I think everyone focused on like making sure their protocol was okay, which is probably the right way to go about it too. Yeah. You know, it's uh, that's a part we can't change or edit or modify or anything like that. Um, and user experience, I think was always kind of just, you know, it, I don't think anyone wrote it off, but um, you know, I don't think it was optimized for at least for a lot of projects in the early days. And I think everyone's kind of getting there now. And um, I do think by the end of next year, we're going to have, you know, I'm not necessarily, I hope Augur uh, can be one of these, but I definitely think we're going to have a handful of applications where, um, you know, it is a truly decentralized application running on Ethereum and the web experience is, you know, identical to you nearly using Twitter or Gmail or something like that. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be a, a very exciting time for people who are building all this stuff. It's awesome. Why don't we uh, we stop there? This has been fascinating. So, so where can people go to uh, find out more information and, and learn more about the details and, and innards of uh, of Augur? Uh, yeah, um, Augur.net, um, Twitter at Augur Project. Um, those are our two pretty much uh, primary uh, uh, communication channels. Uh, we have a Discord. It's on. You can go to Augur.net or invite.augur.net and um, then that's where all of all of the people who work for the foundation, all the engineers, um, and you know the whole kind of little Augur community exists. So um, it's a pretty good place to come ask us questions or you know talk about any of this stuff uh, if anybody would ever like to. But uh, yeah, come find us Augur.net. Uh, hopefully, uh, aiming for January uh, twenty twenty, uh, you should see uh, the V two launch. So it'll be exciting. Fantastic. Uh, well, this has been a really interesting discussion. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, the Augur uh, concept. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope people will dig in and uh, you can actually uh, deposit, uh, withdraw, uh, exchange Augur uh, rep tokens in the Abra system. Uh, and so we'll hope you'll uh, use Abra for, for that. And uh, thank you again for your time. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. This was great. I uh, really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you. And so that was that. That's it for uh, another episode of Money 3.0. Thanks for joining. Thanks again for listening to the Abra Money 3.0 show. We hope you liked this episode as much as we did. If so, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and download the Abra app wherever you get your apps. Thanks again.